Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this weekend, we're talking about games that travel well. Games that you can take with you on vacation or just wherever you're going in your life. And uh, we're doing this topic because I just got back from vacation. I just got back from a lovely, wonderful vacation in Scotland. I was in Edinburgh. And Rob, I know you're going to be doing a little bit of traveling in the, uh, in the coming months. And so it's it just, you know, it's a really, it's really near and dear to my heart. Games that you can play wherever you're going. Yeah, and I think something else is that there are some games I'm comfortable bringing with me on a, on a nice trip because they won't, like, materially change my experience or take it over. Yeah. And then there's other games that I'm like, eh, if I if I start like playing this while I'm on vacation, I'm kind of wasting the vacation. I'm yeah. kind of like this is suddenly turning into the thing I'm doing when really I'm here to be engaged with something else. And so like I always find that there's there's always a little bit of like angst for me when it comes to uh you know playing a game on a breaker breaker a trip. You know, in addition to the just the uh the format, like how are you bringing it with you? How how are you going to be accessing it? There's just kind of this mental aspect. Yeah, I completely agree. I can't, uh, I can never, vacations are already hard for me psychologically because it's already so much money and time and there's so much pressure to like have a really good time. It was actually really hard for me to plan this trip and uh, my my poor girlfriend and, and my whole family really, they, they know this about me because I'll be like, well, I really want to go away, but it's so stressful to like, all right, you're going to put a thousand dollars down on, you know, whatever airfare you're going to put so much money on hotel you're going to put so much money on food you're spending all this money so there's this massive amount of pressure to have a good time and i'm already kind of a bad planner planning takes a lot out of me because i'm like oh god it's got to be good once you're once you're like committing to something it's got to be good that's a weird thing psychologically so it's already high stress and then you got to think about okay you're spending all that money and you have all that pressure and you can't be sitting there in a hotel room or whatever playing a fucking video game. You got to get out there and do things and experience wherever the place is that you're going to. So it's very, very, it's very angsty. It's very hard. Um, Well, and I'm always at war with the idea of there's what I feel like I'm obligated to be doing or should be doing uh, when I'm in a place versus like what I might actually want to do. And I think part of this comes from when I went on trips with my parents growing up, well, there were two issues. One they always went to places that just like did not work for me. Sure. Um, so like they loved going to quaint Michigan, uh, you know, tourist towns along along the lakes. They were all really interchangeable. Uh, and, and I now <laughs> date somebody uh, from who's originally from Michigan, and it turns out that like the locals absolutely knew we were rubes uh, coming in <laughs> to like. Uh, apparently, the, apparently, there's like a, a, a sort of a really cruel. Uh, they, they, Michigan locals call out-of-state tourists, I think, like fudgies or oh. something like that, because every town, every tourist town in Michigan sells like there's like eight different fudge shops. <laughs> and by the way, like fudge isn't that fucking great. Like it's fine, but like come on, it's you know, let's not get carried away here. But it's not like maple candy. You know exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's yeah. It's it's not like uh, you know fried uh, fried clams uh, or anything you know. like that. Um, <laughs> but but no. So 
people would go to these towns and like, oh man, look, it's a fudge shop, and just like buy all this like overpriced shit. And like it was sort of a it, like I, honestly, this is probably how Michigan, uh, you know, stayed in the black uh, for as long as it did. Like it was a bunch of Hoosiers and uh, you know Minnesotans coming in and dropping money they shouldn't have on mediocre uh, fudge. Anyway, the point is though, so this is where my parents would tend to take me. Uh, on breaks. Side note: One of the best and most memorable trips was where they accidentally took us to um, a place called Saugatuck, Michigan, uh, which was an early nineties. Okay. Yeah, well, there wasn't much going on in Saugatuck in the nineties, except <laughs> I am pretty sure that it became a pretty popular Midwestern gay vacation destination. Oh, I love it because uh, it, you know it's the nineties, right? So like you know there there, there were there were places where that was you know comfortable and cool and everyone's down with it, and there are places that you know were obviously less accessible. Saugatuck yes. was like totally open to that, hip to it. It was it was cool. My parents didn't like really that didn't really dawn on them, uh, <laughs> and it, it wasn't like a problem for them or anything like that. But they just didn't understand why this village like didn't really resonate uh, with them. You know what I mean? Like what? Why like, are there why all are they- these men with these? Mustaches. That's yeah, really interesting. There, God, yeah. there's a lot of juice bars in this town, aren't there? Yeah. Like, hmm. Man, I've never seen this many smoothies. Yeah. It, it's wow. it's it was real good. It was like <laughs> it, was, it was like my parents like had no idea what's going on, and it's like they are one of like eight heterosexual couples in the village <laughs> at that time, and literally everybody else is. Wearing like hand me down clothes from Miami Vice or something yes! like that. It's all like '90s pastel and beige. It's yes! amazing. Can I also share? Yeah, go very briefly. I know this is an aside, but I really need to share as well. My entire life, uh, as when I was very very young, and even even now, I've been there recently. I used to go to a Gunquit, Maine. I don't know. I don't know if you know a Gunquit. It's only about no. two hours from Boston. It's beautiful, beautiful little tiny beach town. You know, southern Maine, right on the coast. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Super, super gay population. But I went my entire life. Like my grandparents used to go there. My parents went, you know, before they were married. Like my first baby pictures in vacation. Like I'm like 10 months old and I'm on a beach in a gunquit, like playing in the sand. Like my whole life. And like my my family always kind of knew it was kind of gay, but it was like, eh, whatever. And I didn't realize it until I was about 13. And then I was like, Oh, that guy is really gay. I remember walking down like a bridge over to the beach area and there was like, you know, two dudes who like there was nothing specifically about them that I could point to you and say like, oh, you know, that was a gay couple. But for some reason, 13 year old Danielle, who, by the way, was very sheltered and had no idea she was also incredibly gay. And also had no idea like what the signals of gay culture were. I was a fucking Catholic school kid. I just like knew and I, I said something to my mom about it. I was like, oh, is that guy really gay? And she's like, oh, yeah, honey, we've been waiting for you to figure it out for years. Like, she just was like, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, we, you know, we were, we were like practically putting money on when you would figure it out. It was just, oh, it was so wonderful. They also have really good saltwater taffy and, and maple candy in a gun. I can, I can get with saltwater taffy. Oh, it's uh, real good. It's real good. And later in life, that was where I would actually, when I worked at the ACLU, we were campaigning for gay marriage in uh, Maine. That's where we went for all the, like, you know, organizing stuff. So it was kind of like, oh, later in life, I would actually, that would actually be, like, a thing. There was a through line there of, you know, figuring out there was gay people in a gunquit to, like, oh, yes, this is where we do our actual political campaigning. We must mobilize the, <laughs> Basically, the people of my youth. I it was have... like a guy in an old 
old-timey bathing suit. That's how I knew. He was wearing, like, a striped, like, black and white, like, old-timey-ass bathing suit. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Anyway, there wow. you go. That's uh, that Gay is town. Cool. Gay beach towns. <laughs> They're fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, but the other weird thing about these these places, just there wasn't much to them, right? Like, oh, they were yeah. all identical. Yeah. Like, there were the fudge shops. There were the places selling nautical-themed, uh, you know, garbage. And, you know, remembering, <laughs> like, ah, oh, this is, you know, the, the men of this village used to take to the seas of Lake Michigan <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, I mean, sure. And, like, certainly in the winter, the, the Great Lakes can actually be really hazardous. But you know, come on, like right. you're, you know, this is a, this is a tiny like lakeshore tourist town, and it, you're, you know, they're kind of dressing it up like I don't this know, is it's the Nantucket best lakeshore tourist like town, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so, but my parents like were like, we have to consume all this content. Basically, yes. that was their like. <laughs> if we're going on this vacation, we're not sitting in the nice resort or the nice hotel that we may have paid for. We are going. We're going to trudge. Through this fucking village, just endlessly. <laughs> we're gonna eat all this fudge. We, oh my god! Like we're like uh, you gotta buy one piece of fudge from every shop. Yeah. Uh, you need to get at least three mugs, one for every member of the family. God. Uh, from the this mugs. from this town, uh, one of them has to say the name of the town, uh, so that we can always remember uh, what uh, you know what it was what, what it was like here and and what we did here. Uh, and then we need to get some uh, folk art. Oh, uh, yes. Which, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. for sure. The nice paintings. Yes, the ship. The painting of the ship. Always. The painting of the ship. The yes. painting of the ship or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a, a nice uh, crude piece of Americana. Uh, oh, or, yeah. or maybe a sculpture made of, like, wicker bullshit or, like, reclaimed. Oh, God, yes. Uh, you know, reclaimed barn or something like that. <laughs> like, oh, it's just, you know, this, this barn was left to, like, was abandoned and left to rot in the sun and the elements for years. And uh, now we've turned it into... Uh, a a little doll wearing a <laughs> uh, tiny little gingham dress. Oh uh, god! And my parents were like, "Hell yes, yes, this is what we want." <laughs> and so like I'm like you know seven or eight or something like this, and like just being dragged on these like fucking hell voyages, and they were terrible. <laughs> but I had the, but I, I ended up in my head that like if you're going on a vacation, you had to like vacation the shit out of wherever you were and you couldn't do the relaxing thing you wanted to be doing you certainly couldn't even relax you couldn't like just hang out and like do nothing you had to go out and take part in the life of this quaint little uh little town so and that's just not me like you know you're saying you can't you don't want to stay in the hotel but like i like the nice hotel i'll be honest i do too it's just it's hard because i feel that pull because my parents did the same thing although and not to also go aside, but I, I was a very lucky child. I went to those quaint seaside towns, and then there was always, we, we also went to Walt Disney World a lot, like many, many, many dozens of times. And that is not a place where you're allowed to sleep or chill out because you get things like now, nowadays you get reservation times to go on rides. Like you can't even just go oh, yeah. and see things. It has to it's be the grueling. most regimented fucking military operation of a vacation that you can ever imagine in your entire life. It's We need to be back at this insane. line at 1435. You it will take you 12 do. minutes to get from Magic Fucking Mountain oh, to God. this ride so you can use your pass to get to the front of the line 
So be sure to book those 20 minutes in part of your walk time and don't don't dally. It's so exhausting and people have meltdowns now. I mean, they always did because it's always high stress and expensive, but like now especially people have legitimate meltdowns screaming at employees if like, oh, you know, there's a longer line for the Mickey Mouse ice cream than usual and we missed our fast pass and now we can't do the thing and oh my God, and it's, oh my God, it's a nightmare. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, uh, Hotels are nice. So this is an aside as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's another this. it's another idle weekend, folks. We're doing good. Uh, so let me tell you about Janeway. No, uh, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> no, like so, I went to Disneyland for the first time uh, earlier this year, and it was great. Like I loved it. Uh, yeah. Like, no cynicism at all. It was a pure delight, uh, and it really is like a magical and weird place uh, that we should talk about at length yes. some other time. But yes, I did sort of get to the end of that day, and I'm just. Dead on my feet. You know, you're, you're like beyond tired and yeah. you have to somehow get to your car, which is like eight miles away out in the parking oh lot. Yeah. And then drive home and it's going to be terrible. But we'd ended up uh, like being stuck in Space Mountain or something for so oh, long. Oh, no. Uh, which, is, which has all been rebranded, Star Wars uh, and all this stuff. And the ride kept breaking down. And then I tried to get into the ride and I was way too tall. Oh, uh, no. Like, no. Like, I started, like, I sort of half sat. And before I even, like, before my butt, like, broke the plane of the top of the backrest, <laughs> yeah. my knees were, like, locked forward, slammed into the front of the ride. I was like, there's no way I can, like, I'm trying to, like, sort of, like, sp- like sort of spread-legged, trying to, like, maneuver myself into this thing and, like, do a split so I can, like, actually fit both my legs in this. And uh, so I was ended up, like, I was doing this sort of weird like side saddle thing in the uh, in the ride, and they were like, "Sir, you can't you can't ride ride that way." And I was like, "What do you, what do you mean? My feet are both sticking out like the sticking out the side behind me, and like the bar is sort of like half pulled closed." And I was like, "I think this will be quite comfortable." So anyway. I was thrown out of Space Mountain. Oh no! And uh, but not really. But like I did, I, so I had to leave. And uh, and so we're walking back though. And I'll tell you that that parade they do every night really is like something, <laughs> and it's cool. But it also does like shut down that entire fake Main Street USA village oh, that God, you need yeah, to you get can't through to get out. Go anywhere. And so You're like trapped. I'm just. It's like. There's this episode of Cowboy Bebop where a guy just like lays down in front of a fucking like mascot parade and gets crushed. And like I was like staring at it and I was like, that sounds really good right now. Like <laughs> yeah. I could just like I just step out there and like just let like Mickey just just run me over. It'll all be over soon. Yeah, it could, like it just, could just, be just done. walk out. Uh, yeah, it was like it, it was like how 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 does one how does one street with one one cross street. How how have I, how do I keep getting blocked by this parade as I try to leave this leave this park? Uh, but yeah, anyway. So I I think yeah, my ideal vacation actually does tend to be chilling in nice hotels or resorts and like hanging out at good restaurants and seeing friends. Uh, but yeah. beyond that, like, I mean, I end up spending a lot of time in bookstores when I go traveling, which is kind of a waste. Like, you know, Amazon always exists, but it's nice. It's something that I enjoy doing. I also just enjoy sometimes fucking off and hanging out in a hotel room and having things brought to me. That that can be cool, too. That's but I always feel nice. like this is a waste. Yeah. 
God, the damn this. I don't, I don't even know. It's not like a Puritan thing, but it's like a, I don't know, a waste not, want not kind of attitude about vacation where it's like the whole fucking point is to waste a little bit and relax. Like, that's the point. That is the point of vacation. Oh, God, it's very, it's very taxing sometimes. And I, I, um, well, I, I luckily had a really wonderful time. Uh, in Scotland, I stayed with with wonderful people, friends friends of the show. I, we're gonna call them friends of the show. Kara Ellison and uh, Alice O'Connor, uh, who are like the best hosts ever in the universe. And I did some sightseeing. I hiked up a big hill, and also did boxing training on that hill. I <laughs> I saw a surgeon's what, like museum Rocky style. Yes, actually, we brought boxing oh, pads yeah. up and we like did stations up the hill and it's like actually like a small mountain. It's massive. It's called Arthur's Seat. It's in the middle of Edinburgh and it looks like a tiny mountain. It's like a New England mountain almost, uh, but it's just a really big hill with craggy top and you get to climb. Oh my God, it was amazing. I went to like Schoon Palace where all the kings of Scotland have been crowned and they had amazing gardens and oh my God, I had like the time of my life. But I also, uh, because I'm me, and one of my favorite things to do now on vacation is to go to um, <laughs> martial arts gyms and train. I got to train uh, Muay Thai several times, traditional boxing several times. And I went to uh, an MMA gym and did some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and had a really amazing time. And How uh, does that work? Because like, most of the time <laughs> gyms are kind of like, they have their regulars. Like it's sort of closed oh, yeah. ecosystem, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. How does, do you just show up randomly and been like, all right, who wants to throw down or... Do you reach out to people online? It depends on the gym culture. So this is something I sort of looked up for a while before I went. And it depends on like the country and it depends on the sport, of course. But Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is wonderful in that it's a pretty global sport that also has like a pretty, you know, I'm not going to call it like universally awesome culture, but it it tends to have a pretty friendly culture. So, um, you know, and and I've done this actually, even if I've just been traveling in the U.S. Like uh, I went to, uh, you know... The East Bay at one point, you know, in in the last couple of years and just went there to train. Um, You know, it wasn't my old gym in San Francisco, but it was somewhere in Richmond that was just like, oh, here's an MMA gym. I'm going to pay the mat fee. You know, you talk to the coach or whatever, um, and usually they'll they'll let you train. You know, you pay a mat fee or whatever, like a a day fee, basically, and you can take a class and then spar, you know, or or whatever is appropriate for your art, I guess. And jujitsu especially is like really friendly. It's actually something really, really kind of cool. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, he of Parts Unknown fame, is a, a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And they started actually sort of filming him when he, he he finds a gym in every city he goes to. Like, this is a thing he does now. Apparently, he's gotten really into this. No matter how remote a village he's in, he always finds a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. And d- whether he speaks the language or not, he shows up and he rolls with the people there. Rolling is just the term for sparring. Uh, and it's like a friendly sport where everybody's like, oh, you know the rules. Like, we all know the rules. You know, you you high five somebody, you tap somebody when something hurts and, and go for it. You know, figure it out. Learn from the other people. And it's really amazing and fun because people really do have kind of a different style in different places. You know, not not just culturally, but like different gyms will have kind of different attitudes and different styles and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I went to this place and it was just the best experience. It was so wonderful. It's a place called Cross Combat. Uh, gym in Edinburgh, MMA gym. They have, you know, Muay Thai, they have uh, MMA, they have wrestling, they have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I showed up and they were just really friendly and salty, like a lot of people in Scotland. And that made me extremely happy because it was like this really great thing. 
And the guy there who was sort of running the class was this hilarious, hilarious dude. Uh, so we did the class and then I stayed for sparring. And uh, he just kept making all these like kind of funny dick references like okay. in, with regards to positioning. So my, my coach in New York, uh, I'll say, is like he ex-professional fighter, like incredibly, incredibly talented. He's done every one of the arts and also is a black belt and you know, BJJ and all this other stuff. And like, but he's, he's like a pretty funny guy. He kind of busts your chops a little bit, but he'll, I would never hear him say like, all right, so when you're getting this position right, you got to make sure that you're right under their dick. Like, that's what the guy in Scotland said. I'm like, I would never hear that from my professor here, but I am laughing my ass off because this is amazing. And he was showing me something specific, a specific wrestling move uh, sort of after the class. I was like, oh, can I ask a question? This this looks like it would be really useful from this position. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 totally. So he's showing me this thing. He's like, all right, and now get your dick on the ground. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I like completely didn't understand at all what he was talking about. I was like, I don't, I don't have a, like, so I like, I was down on my knees. He's like, no, those are your knees. Get your dick on the ground. I was like, oh, oh, okay. And like jumped down and like got to the position. But it was like this really funny moment of like, you're so vulgar and I love it. And it's really funny and descriptive, but I had no fucking idea what you were even talking about for a second there. Also, you know, I don't know if maybe, maybe I would have a huge dick and like being on my knees would be having my dick on the ground. I don't know, man. Like it's, it's all... You know, it's all, it's all out foreign there. to me. It's all foreign to me. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, but it was just sorry. This is so vulgar, but that was just illustrative of my experience of being like in this place that was like both like a really good jujitsu gym. Like they really knew their their techniques. They, I felt like I learned a lot and also just like we're fucking funny and vulgar and it was hilarious and I loved it. Like it was a really wonderful I'm like experience. Over here gripping the armrests of this of this story <laughs> and being like. <laughs> I'm really hoping this was just fun and cool and innocent yes, and not like yes, low-key sexual harassment. Completely. No, there was nothing there was nothing weird. Like it was just it was just like this colorful fucking description of of like how you would get into a particular position. So, yeah. Did you, so did you do any like serious sparring? Uh yeah, I mean in jiu-jitsu, yes. Like yeah. I because jiu-jitsu there's no at least there's not usually any head trauma. You're not yeah. actually punching anybody. Like you can definitely get very fucked up. You can. Yeah. I've broken but ribs. So I'm curious, it, like, like how they handle it though when you got a visitor. Uh, like they just, you know, yeah, they you kinda, rotate in or do they you kind of rotate in. You? you know, he asked me like what you're comfortable with, and I was like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to roll with everybody, and I did. I rolled with everybody, every size, you know, yeah. uh, dudes and ladies, all all the kind of the same because that's what I do here. Like we're very yeah. very comfortable with that here. So. Yeah, he was like, all right, cool. You know, it's under supervision. Like, somebody's watching and making sure nobody's getting, you know, the shit kicked out of them or anything. Uh, but yeah, jiu-jitsu is friendly in that way. That, like, there's a pretty universal language of, like, tap means stop. And, you know, that's yeah. pretty much all you really need to know. That and, like, you know, just how to intelligently defend yourself. And if you're clearly never done it before, you're probably not going to try to go and spar. And if you do, it'll be very obvious to the instructor. And you'll probably get, you know, taken out and been like, all right, why don't you learn a little more before you... <laughs> try to really roll so yeah yeah it, it's just god it was it was just really wonderful and something i would love to do now wherever i go i would love to go back to japan there's actually brazilian jiu-jitsu in japan as well as you know there's you know traditional jiu-jitsu but what i train in is the brazilian style and like apparently those gyms are super friendly and really fun and very welcoming to random people walking in as well so I, it's something that I love now. I know it's not a game, and I know I'm going on and on about this on a gaming podcast, no, no. but it, it was Make so much fun. Make the world your gym. <laughs> really, seriously, it's like my dream to to travel the world 
and rolls people from around the world to do jujitsu. Like I, it sounds like the dumbest thing, but That's it's an, an really inspiring the truth. vision for all of us in, in 2017. <laughs> it just, really is. Just roll with the world. Uh, I it's like roll. Katamari Damashi, but like with uh, <laughs> combat sports. Exactly. Uh, did any games make the cut? Like, was there anything you felt that was allowed to participate in your vacation and was not like subtracting from it? Yes, absolutely. So I played a whole hell of a lot of Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, the, you know, XCOM meets Mario Switch game that everybody was uh, up in arms about in, uh, not not a bad way, everybody, I think yeah. everybody, I think a lot of people really enjoyed it. it. came out like August, I think, maybe late August, very early September. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking wonderful. It's a, it's a tactics game starring Mario and the, you know, all those Rabbids that you sure love from all the Ubisoft <laughs> games. And it's, it's like a really good, fun, uh, tactical, you know, just tactics game where, you know, I, I remember Patrick actually writing about it a lot on, on that website that we, that we <laughs> work at, talking a lot about how like the momentum is a huge part of it. It actually does feel like, even though it's not a platformer at all, it is like, you know, a pretty pure tactics game. There's a lot of little touches and flourishes that make it feel like a Mario game. Like when you're going, you use pipes to traverse a lot of the area mm -hmm. and you kind of go in really quickly and kind of come out and, and it feels a little bit like a jump and the movement is very, very smooth and you're always sort of jumping on people's heads to get a little bit of damage, things like that. Just very, very clever, very well put together. Uh, I played a lot of it on the plane over and then quite a bit of it um, sort of at night during my trip, although I did have to stop myself from playing too much during the trip because I started getting a little perfectionist-y about it and that was keeping yeah. me up way too late and I was like no I really need to acclimate to the time zone I need to f I need to transition to Edinburgh time and not be on New York time here uh <laughs> so it was keeping me up so then I started I was like okay okay this is this is a an hour to two hours kind of thing or a plane ride back kind of thing so I I was able to make that adjustment but it is it was something that could have eaten a lot more time than it did on my vacation uh, because it really is a lot of fun and very, very uh, satisfying to kind of sink your teeth into as well. Yeah, so I'm about to um, <clears throat> do some house sitting for for a friend uh, heading out to the country. Awesome. And just going to spend a week walking in the New England forests and, uh, you know, just really getting my quaint, uh, you know, village life yes. on for a while, which, you know, is pretty much what I exactly what the doctor ordered right now. Yeah. Uh, especially because, like, the weather's perfect right now. Uh, oh, God, yes. And so it's going to be a great time to, you know, go walk in a forest uh, for, for hours every day, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is what I enjoy doing. But while I'm out there, I had this brief moment where I was like, what if I brought my... What if I brought my gaming PC? And then oh, I was like, well, shit. that would fuck everything up. <laughs> that, that's a terrible idea. I reject that. Uh, but it got me thinking about like what gets to make the cut. Um, and I think one thing that I'm really starting to enjoy is, is sort of the upside of a lot of these, a, a lot of the, the, the move to serve a game, like to services as game platforms yeah. uh, is that your collection kind of follows you anywhere. And so if your friend has like a modern console, you've got your games like they're there. You just have to like, you know, log into your account and you can play it all. Uh, but I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most and something I really appreciate right now is uh, Forza 7 
Ooh. You have if you, like, I think if you have it on the one platform, you have it on both. Oh, cool! Like, oh, yeah, I should you know, I should look that up right now, actually. Uh, but it's like my code certainly, uh, my code certainly unlocked it for both platforms. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So like. Yeah, you you have it on you know it just it becomes part of your Xbox account, and your Xbox account is now on PC as well as you know if you're running Windows, and it's on Xbox. So he has an Xbox, and I'm probably just going to pick up my uh, my Forza campaign while I'm out there. Nice. But oh yeah. The other thing is that I think what I like about Forza is that it's nice and low key. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to demand too much of me, right? Like, you know, you pop in, you do a few races, and you're good to go. But you don't have to, you know, it's not like a Witcher type experience, right? Where it's like, all right, this is what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I when I brought a when I brought Fallout One with me on vacation visit, visiting my parents, there was a certain point where I basically stopped hanging out with people because I was like in the last. <laughs> few hours of the fallout one campaign and i was like well bye everybody i need to go figure out how i'm gonna nuke these mutants um <laughs> who totally had it coming like don't don't <laughs> shed a tear for those mutants they they deserved what they got uh they they got they got street justice uh as it were from yeah. uh from, from my vault dweller so yeah so I, like i think that for me is what i'm really looking for is this it's something that i can you know, it's a game I can play for 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and I can be done with it and can go back to, like, enjoying my surroundings. Uh, but that's, I think, the thing I look for the most is, like, if it's too immersive, it's if, it, if, if it's too, like, gripping, it will, you know, it, it sort of turns, like, my, my vacation becomes about that. Racing game is perfect because it's like, hey, just do a few laps. Yeah. Yes. God, also, I, I think you'll like Forza 7. Yeah, I, I probably will. That's the other thing. I'm, uh, uh, I just always enjoy the Forza games. I really, really like a good, beautiful racing game as, as a chill-out game. We've, we've talked about that a few times of, of like, yeah, it's, it's just really good as a podcast game, as a relaxing game. It's, it's always satisfying to feel yourself improve, even if you're not. I'm never going to be like a, a good racing game player but that's fine i can put on assists and enjoy myself and enjoy driving in a beautiful place and kind of just feeling that that nice burn of improvement uh and just sort of oh yeah i got a little faster that time i got a little faster that time that's satisfying okay that's good um oh god also those games are so gorgeous and i've heard that this one is especially like jaw-dropping and yeah oh my god it's pretty ridiculous um (laughs) It's doing so. I've started to figure out what it is doing uh, to an extent, like because my computer can't run it at full 4K with all the settings max. Like, can't do that with anything. Sure. Uh, I tried running The Witcher at full 4K, and it was like stutter. Like, as long as you were looking straight forward at what the game knew it was going to be rendering, you were fine. But like, if you swung the camera like to one side and like completely changed what you were looking at, the entire thing like went to a slideshow. Uh, what Forza is doing, and it's pretty clever. Uh, my girlfriend was the one who spotted it, and then my roommate started noticing some details as well. Uh, it looks like it's dynamically adjusting detail levels on the fly uh, to try and maintain the frame rate. And so, like, you will have moments where it is 
noticeably dropping like the texture resolution of like your dashboard or something or like uh it's suddenly getting pretty iffy with the raindrop physics on the uh win- not on the um driver's side window right but it's maintaining max detail on the cars in front of you and like the raindrops that are on the on the on the windshield and so like it's kind of it's fudging the stuff that like you probably won't be looking at and it's probably going to be out of focus for you anyway uh and so it's really it's really clever uh because like you just you don't like i have never really caught it doing this there have been a few moments where I'm like the dashboard appeared to have just like flickered for a split second, but I couldn't figure out what I'd seen. Oh, um, but like, yeah, so it, it took people like watching me play, watching the margins of the screen to see where the compromises uh, were because I wasn't catching them. I knew they were happening, but I wasn't catching them, uh, which I think is really, really clever. Like it, it you know, you're the part of the game you're staring at. Uh, is you know glorious and beautiful, and then everything else is a little bit, a little bit fudged. I do think it's a little funny though, and maybe you'll you'll get what I'm talking about here. Car games are known for being showpieces, known for being like technically gorgeous, you know, system sellers. I realized playing Forza that. A lot of times, like, I was in this, like, really dramatic night race. There was, like, lightning and shit. And it was really cool. I was mostly staring at tail lights and (laughs) uh, corner markers. Yep. Like, literally, like, the rest of the game, like, was there. I'm sure I would have complained if it didn't look great. But what was I actually focusing on was just the backs of cars in the distance. And then, like, those, like, 200, 150, 100 corner markers. Yeah. Yep. That sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It makes me think of whenever I go for like a really beautiful hike in a dramatic, gorgeous place, 99% of the time you're staring at your feet. Yeah. uh, Because you want to make sure, I mean, it's valid. You want to make sure you're not tripping on a root and dying, Yeah. especially if you're on like a a very tall cliff or something like that. But yeah, it's always like, oh, you got to make sure you have to like consciously make sure like, okay, I'm going to stop for a second. And I'm going to look over and I'm going to see the, oh, look at the wonderful, gorgeous majesty of nature. Okay, back to staring at my feet. Like, Maybe it's very... why people like hiking mountains uh, yeah. is because, like, just occasionally by accident, you'll be staring at your feet and see something really dramatic, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if you're, if you're crossing, <laughs> like, a rocky spine uh, connecting two peaks and it's, like, the width of a sidewalk and there's a cliff on each side, you'll see some stuff. You'll see, you'll notice some shit. You can't. You can't help it in that case. Yeah. But no, it's <laughs> yeah. totally true. Like if you're walking in the forest, like you're not looking up. You know, you're like, oh, I want to be out in those trees. I want to be out in that wilderness. And then you're like, all right, root, root, rock, uh, <laughs> mud. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> Looks like some horse shit. Yeah. Yep. I mean, just stay away. You got to stay away from all that. Yeah. It's very. You know, we're making a lot of connections today. That's what's happening. Yeah. What, what are you really paying attention to? Uh, I think it's beautiful. I, I probably need to play some Forza 7, for sure. Um, what we need to do is pay attention to our weekend correspondence. Oh, yeah. There's a segue right from the, the fast lane. Yeah, just, yeah. just imagine me bringing... Yeah, beautiful. That was that was really well handled. Uh, <laughs> just imagine me bringing like a little solver uh, out uh, with uh, correspondence <laughs> neatly piled there. Uh, oh, it's, it's been perfect. brought while we were out. Oh, it's perfect. I love that. It's very nice. Uh, shall, shall I read the first one? Yeah. All right, I'm going to read that first one. This one's from Ryan. And Ryan writes, Hello, R&D. 
I have long been an RTS fan, but I've avoided, quote, war games as they are intimidatingly complex. This weekend, I took the plunge with Warhammer Total War. I found my RTS skills to be quite counterproductive given the way in which battles are are, excuse me, conducted in Total War. But what really interested me is how I came to understand historical battle tactics by trial and error. While I was dimly aware of flanking and charging, the notion of having units in reserve only occurred to me after having my units lose battles that they could have won, were they not so exhausted. My question is this, am I doing this right? Should I be learning these things by trial and error, or is there a Tactics 101 that I should go through first? Are these games ultimately based on historical facts, such that I should read up on some classical battles? Or are there conventions of the genre that I will come to know in time, and this is a good way to learn as any? Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I mean, certainly, like, if you're in a military history, this stuff gets easier. Um, mm. Like, one of the things that really changed what I would do in these games was, um, this is a little bit nerdy. <laughs> Unusual for <laughs> the show. It's a gaming podcast. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> uh, no. So, one of the things that a lot of armies did, like, in the 17th century is that they would line up in multiple ranks. Uh, sorry. So in addition to, like, you'd have formations of troops, like, in columns and ranks, but then also you would have, like, several different, like, staggered, uh, like, your companies would be broken out into three lines. So, you know, you'd have your first wave, your second wave, your third wave, basically, uh, in, in sort of a macro formation. And they were all pretty closely stacked uh, so that, you know, the, the, next, the next line could move right up into place alongside the first one. Uh, and it wasn't, and this is kind of how I was running things in my total war games as well. And I was having sort of mixed results, but then one of, I was reading a book on, uh, you know, the sort of the early experiments with like developing the modern gunpowder army, basically. (laughs) And one of the things that I realized that, uh, was a major revolution in like the 18th century is that people started holding their reserves back, uh, quite a bit because, the further back you had them, the more flexibility you had about where you could send them. Right. Huh, you, you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you're at that point able to react to anything happening anywhere on the line and not just immediately in front of wherever those dudes happen to be parked. <laughs> and so I started like having troops like in reserve that I could commit after the battle had developed a little bit and sort of commit them anywhere. And that kind of changed things. It helped, and that's a cool thing, and it's enriching when that happens. Trial and error will will get you there, uh, especially because the the Total War Warhammer series is very loosely uh, based on like military history. Um, not a lot of griffins in military history. <laughs> sure, not a lot of like sure. uh, yeah. <laughs> so not as many as you would hope, I guess. You know. Yeah, no, nowhere near as many as you'd hope. So it's. Um, it's kind of marginal there. The other thing is, I would say it's definitely gotten more gamey uh, with that with that system, right? It's it's Warhammer now. There's like you know you have your eagles showing up and dropping. I don't know, like elven napalm. I don't know, man. Look, it's magic <laughs> and shit. But it means that units are behaving a little more of a traditional like rock paper scissors uh, type system than in previous Total Wars. And so like Total War in particular, I think is starting to operate a little more like a game where you're just better off learning the matchups and what beats what. Uh, but outside of that, trial and error will get you there. It probably helps to do tutorials and read up a little bit. 
And depending on what era you're in, and I think this only comes up with the Total War games because they're some, somewhat historical. Like, reading about World War II tactics isn't going to help you play Company of Heroes. Hmm. Like, yeah. that's just not going to work. Uh, so, yeah, Total Wars and War games are kind of their own thing because they do assume a little bit of, like, real-world knowledge. But in the Warhammer franchise, at least, it doesn't matter as much. Okay. That was definitely a Rob question. That's yeah. I have nothing to add to that. But all right, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this one might be more up your alley. All right, cool, cool. Heidi Ho, DNR. Oh, Heidi Ho. I love it. <laughs> I was never much of a Zelda fan growing up, so this past year I've decided to play some of the most well-regarded Zelda games among fans. I'd always been exposed to Zelda since childhood. My cousins had the first game for NES, but I had never really shown an interest. Prior to taking on this endeavor, the only game I played and beaten was The Minish Cap, which I greatly enjoyed. So far, I have beaten The Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. I plan to play Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker, and Majora's Mask when I have the time. I feel very guilty about not liking A Link to the Past as much as I was, as, as much as I was expecting myself to like it. I enjoyed the game and see why people love it, but there were some aspects of the Dark World that were maddening. I used a fact quite a bit because I couldn't figure out how to access certain dungeons. One of them required an item that is only designated by a lightning bolt symbol. I didn't know what the hell that meant. When I came across an obtuse puzzle like that uh, with no clue or hint on how to proceed, I felt like an idiot. I thought to myself, how in the bloody hell would a kid be able to figure out parts of this game on their own without a fact? My guess is A, Nintendo Power, or B, word of mouth from other kids. In order to make myself feel better, I would search for forum posts from other people who also got stumped by the game. But of course, I would also find posts from people saying that they beat the game as a kid without any help. A Link to the Past is considered one of the most beloved games of all time, but I can't say that for me, and I feel bad about it. I liked Link's Awakening, and heaven forbid the Minish Cap, much more than the greatest Zelda game of all time, according to respected video game publications. This brings me to my question. Has there ever been a game or series so beloved, one bearing the weight of years of nostalgia, that you feel absolutely guilty for not sharing that same love? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I feel this one. I actually, uh, I, I somewhat agree with this, uh, with this dear reader. Um, I have never gotten nearly as into A Link to the Past as I thought I would because I'm a, I'm a pretty big Zelda fan. I just, I came to it later. My first Zelda was Ocarina of Time. Uh, so I sort of thought of Zelda games as 3D games. I know how backwards that is. And I know how many people are clutching their pearls right now. But uh, I definitely um, sort of came to it from that completely obtuse angle uh, and tried to play A Link to the Past uh, a couple of times. Um, I, I remember getting the sort of Game Boy Advance version of it and being like, oh, my God, I can't wait. Everybody loves this game. And then never really playing much of it. Just being like, oh, it's, it's fine. I'm sure it's brilliant. I'm sure it's brilliant. I just never really... Played it, never really kind of made the time for it, and uh, have loved, really, really loved uh, a lot of the Zelda games that came after it, and even 2D Zelda games that came after it. Um, I think Link's Awakening is amazing. I've never actually beaten it, but everything I've sort of seen and played of it uh, makes me feel like I think this one's actually better. Um, there's a game called Anodyne that's basically a very Zelda-style game. Uh, it's absolutely in the style of Link's Awakening, and I think it's fantastic. It's great it's like really really great um that i loved so it's not just that it's 2d there's just there's something there that maybe just didn't quite click with you and that's okay and i feel the same way and one of my other big ones is definitely half-life 2 a game that i kept trying and trying and failing to get into and just 
I kept dying really early on in the game and just feeling like, I don't know, man. It's not, it's just not my thing, I guess. And and yeah, I, I came to it a little later. It wasn't, um, you know, like 20 years later, the same way I think uh, Link's, uh, Link to the Past was, but it was like 2007. I think it was Orange Box era that I kind of went back and was like, oh yes, everybody says this game is like one of the best games ever. I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in, I'm going to play it, I'm going to love it. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know, dude, this is, this is fine, I guess. It's just not very exciting or or doing much for me. And I just keep dying, and I kind of stopped. I so. um, I talk a good game. Like <laughs> I, I look, I try hard to get into the stuff that was popular back in the day. Like I try to appreciate the stuff, like the people, the qualities that people saw in an important work. Uh, I've never actually been able to force myself to go watch uh, Birth of a Nation. Oh, uh, but I am sure if I did, I would try to be like, yeah, I appreciate the revolutionary filmmaking of that. You know, I, I've definitely done that with like Triumph of the Fucking Will, right? Sure. Where I'm like, mm, sure. yes, truly an important uh, step forward in the evolution of the uh, of the documentary film. This is fucked up Nazi shit, but right. uh, hmm, what what interesting art? Yeah, uh, ish, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so, but I tried to do the same with uh, you know, with games. Like you know, years ago on Themes Ahead, we did a show on. Um, the original XCOM, uh, aka uh, Enemy Unknown, mm. and I had never played it, and I eventually got to a place where I was starting to really click with what, like, I understood what people saw in that game. Brutally punishing, filled you with paranoia, really tough. Saw it all, dug it. It was cool. Like, I got it. I fucking hated playing that game like <laughs> there were like for every moment where i started to like see what the experience was we're like okay so you know how a good book the medium disappears you'd yes. be reading it on a phone uh on a shitty dog-eared paperback yeah yeah it yeah. just disappears and you're just engaging with the work and you're just consuming it that way that's where I like to get to with games. It's a little harder because, like, interface is such a huge part of games. But, like, roughly you like that idea of there's no longer so many layers between me trying to access what's in here and then what, what the game is actually putting out. I never got there with XCOM. Like, I saw, like, what could happen if I did. But every time I hit that moment, I was back to dealing with another nightmarish interface issue. <laughs> yeah. And so, like... I generally can get to a place where I can appreciate from a distance what people must have admired about something in context uh, enough to sort of speak, you know, reasonably intelligently and, and informed about it. But I definitely like I probably put on airs a little bit when it comes to that stuff. I'm probably like, <laughs> ah, yes, I truly I loved the original XCOM. There's never been another game like that. And I'm like, you know, fuck that game. Like if somebody if somebody was like, hey Rob, you want to play original XCOM? I'd be like, hell no. Like <laughs> I, I don't like I would like to play a game like original XCOM, but I don't actually want to go back and deal with that bullshit. Uh, so I totally I totally get it. Uh, my my suggestion is just you know as you do in uh, literature courses and film courses in college, like just master the expression of like someone who's just sampled a decent wine and just like look knowing and appreciative and just like put it down like have one observation right and just like just punt 
Yep. Uh, no, so that's <laughs> uh, like I have this reaction to a lot of a lot of old stuff. I just I, I probably I, I am happy that I'm usually able to get to a place where I where I sort of feel like I get it. I get why it matters. Uh, but with games in particular, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't doesn't age uh, that well. Um, I don't know if Link to the Past does. Uh, I remember it really fondly, but I haven't played that game in 20 years. Yeah. It's... I want to like it. And this is something I was actually struggling with earlier because I, I, I really had a crisis today. Not a crisis. That's absolutely overselling it. But I was really struggling today uh, because I uh, my girlfriend was uh, talking about Destiny 2 and I was watching her play it and I was just like, man, I just don't fucking get it. And I just really, I think, really annoyed her. Uh, with how much I don't get it. And she's like, no, you get it. It's just not for you. And that's okay. And I and I have an issue with that. Like, I have a real issue mm. uh, when I think somebody incredibly intelligent, uh, you know, who's, whose taste I almost always fully agree with, really loves something. And I it just leaves me colder than a dead fish. Like, I just... I, I, like, feel like it's a personal failure on my part if I'm, like, not seeing it. And I need to just... This is this is me me appreciating your struggle, uh, reader, because I also have this struggle, uh, whether it's for old games or new games. But but it's you know I think it I think there's a pressure again to like appreciate fine works of of games that everybody kind of talks about being just wonderful and beautiful and transcendent and oh oh this you know this this game is is something that really changed the industry or changed design or had so many amazing ideas. And I completely get appreciating something on that level, but it's also okay if you don't like it. It's okay. That's something I'm saying to myself as much as you, dear reader, because it is it is okay to not like things. And I need to accept that. <laughs> so uh, We have another letter here. This is from Jessica from Vancouver. Jessica writes, When I played the Mass Effect series, I did this weird thing where I associated some characters with various food items. In particular, uh, Thane always made me think of fish sausages, and Caden Alenko's face, also grunts, made me think of salmon. I don't I know, know why exactly this happens. I know why that is. Yeah, oh, I can tell I, you. At least okay. with Caden, I can tell you. If it's Caden, it's because you wanted to punch him like he was a bunch of beat up salmon, right? That's that's where you... No, but also, do you remember what the room he's standing in? That fucking engine. Uh, <laughs> uh, that entire room is like orangey pinky colored oh, yeah. and like no man Sa- like Caden looks like a delicious cut of salmon <laughs> in the fucking like fish counter window there you like, go like no doesn't surprise me at all like Caden looks fucking delicious man mystery like, solved yeah <laughs> uh yeah no that really actually makes sense and Grunt um, actually looks like a fish yeah and so does Thane like fish sausages yeah. I've never really looked at a fish sausage but he's a fish guy Actually, so it, I, I didn't know there were fish. Like, it seems like it'd be tough to. I mean, you make sausage out of anything, but it seems like right. it's tough. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. It might be a little difficult. Jessica, but what the fuck are you eating? Jessica, Jessica is eating a lot of fish. I guess but uh, sausage fish, sausages, form, salmon. Vancouver is weird. Way we got a lot of seafood up there. You know, not nice seafood. I guess I don't know. I don't eat seafood, but I, you know, I get it. It's, it's, people like it. Um, anyway, sorry. I got really sidetracked there. But uh, I don't know why this happens or if it's just me who does this. Are there any fictional characters you incomprehensibly attribute to food or other miscellaneous objects too? And then there's a PS. I'll read the PS because this is also very interesting. Um, now that Danielle sim- seems to be getting familiar with sports anime, has she heard of the severely underrated manga Tepu? 
It's only been fan translated on fishy sites. Well, look at that. Another fish Again. reference right there. Fishy sites. Uh, sorry. And it was also canceled. But it's about women's MMA, muscles, and incredibly flawed female protagonists. I think it's up her alley. Thank you, Jessica. What, for what the hell does that mean? No, I'm um, sorry. Like, what's I, the, I like what, women's what MMA, muscles, and I am an incredibly flawed female protagonist of my own manga, I guess, in life. So also, I, you I'm know, not sure it's Jessica's a, getting enough food. I think Jessica likes seafood. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a huge limb here and say Jessica's got something to do like you either, she either enjoys seafood or has like something's there. There's something yeah. there with seafood cuz there are three fish references in this short email. So I'm just going to put that out there. Uh It's weird, but I've gotten like weird food cravings from playing certain games. Definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of something specific, but I feel like there are certain colorful games that have made me really want to eat Fruit Loops, and I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, Dishonored uh, makes me ravenous for trash fish. Oh, yeah. Like, the potted well, eel, jellied yeah, eels. I mean, look, that- <laughs> I'm never going to go the jellied eel route. Like, I'm Delicious. sorry. I don't know what the hell is going on in that world. <laughs> uh, it seems pretty fucked up. I don't know. So you were in Scotland. Did yes. you encounter anything like where you... Because... Like, explicitly, the artist has said uh, parts of Dunwall are based on, like, ref- the reference photos they tend to take were in Scotland. I think they were absolutely. largely of Edinburgh. Yes, Edinburgh. absolutely. Yeah. And, like, Kara even worked on Dishonored 2 and, and talked about, like, certain alleyways being like, oh, yes, this, you know, I remember taking a photo of this or something. Yeah, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, but, like, yes, they're very, it's very specifically based in parts of Edinburgh, and it looks like dishonored and it's crazy. I kept being like, oh, I really want to blink up there. Like I really had that thought many times when I was walking around Edinburgh. I was like, I want to blink. I just want to blink up there. Uh, It's an obscenely, obscenely Uh, beautiful city. (sighs) Yeah, the little, oh God, so good. It's so good. Uh, But yeah, I. uh, But yeah, so like when when I'm playing that game, I'm like, man, if somebody brought me a mess of smelt, Ooh, I would yeah. just, I would, I would ruin that right now. Ugh. I would just get up in that smell and just eat the shit out of it. Um, give me those, you know, give me those slightly questionable uh, fried clams. <laughs> I'm, I'm into that. Let's do I, it. I don't think I'd be, so I am, you know, sort of currently playing uh, the Dishonored, uh, the new Death of the Outsider, uh, which is great. And I don't think I'll be able to play it without seeing both Edinburgh and having a, uh, a craving for not fish and chips because I'm a vegetarian, but they make a sort of vegetarian version of fish and chips with uh, halloumi cheese that is to die for. There is a, a pub, which is like the oldest pub in Scotland. It's from like the 1100s or some ridiculous thing, Sheep's Heed pub that makes like the best. Like it's so crispy with like double fried chips and like fluffy, crunchy, delicious fried halloumi, which is, you know, very much, and with tartar sauce even. Like, it's definitely, like, the fish and chips for people who don't eat fish, and I won't be able to play that without wanting that. I absolutely, I'm there with you. I mean, I'm there with you with my weird substitute, but I'm there with you for sure. Like, delicious fried, you know, heavier foods that are junky but amazing. That is, oh, my God, yes. Oh, Absolutely. And there are certain games that make me want to eat fruit, like fruit cup. Like I want to eat mangoes when I play um, certain, uh, I know this is going to sound really weird, but like, yeah, you know, Donkey Kong Country, <laughs> like the, you know, the colorful levels. Like I want to eat fruit cup. It's delicious and fruity and sweet. I love it. <laughs> well, I guess you can take a drink. I, I mentioned yep. Donkey Kong Country on the I was on the I was worried for a second. I was like, you know, how do we, how will we know? 
How the real will we know Danielle, Danielle? Came back Scotland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This could have been the doppelganger, but now we now we know. Now we really know. Uh, but yes, the, I, uh, Jessica, you're not wrong at all. Like sometimes you just get weird food cravings or associations with games, and I think that's normal. We're we're animals and we like food. Like it's it's pretty normal. We're we're into that. You know, I think most people like eating. Uh, so yeah, it's cool. It's cool. You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And speaking of not wrong, Rob, I want to hear about an endorsement. I want to hear something you are reading or watching or just really enjoying in your life right now. Oh, oh, ah, boy. Um, I'm a little caught. I'm a little caught out. Uh, I don't know. Oh, Oh. Uh, I think I can. Okay, I think I got one. I think I got one. Okay. I started getting into The Good Place. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Sorry. I'm really excited because I just caught up with that. So, yes. Go on. Yeah. Do so, go I just on. started watching it on Netflix. And I don't know how I slept on this, uh, <sighs> given that it has, I think, someone who's increasingly turned into one of my favorite actors, uh, Ted Danson. Yes. Uh, who I always thought is like, oh, yeah, it's Ted Danson, the guy from Cheers. I don't think I ever fully realized, like, what a great actor uh, yeah. he is and how much, like, Great actor, great dramatic actor, great comedic actor. Uh, guy uh, just just brings it all. But the premise for this show is so freaking brilliant. It reminds me a little <laughs> bit of Pushing Daisies. It's got this otherworldly aspect. Yeah. But I just love this this premise of the show, which is like one of the world's shittiest people, like a truly <laughs> god awful, selfish dirtbag of a person but in a way that like we can all relate to right like Kristen Stewart plays basically the like instantiation of every lazy selfish entitled (laughs) thought we've ever had and she just lived that life uh, until she died and has been mistakenly let into what passes for heaven uh, in this universe and her sort of guide and and uh yeah, her, her sort of guide and the person welcoming her to heaven is Ted Danson, who's kind of like the otherworldly being, the angel, I guess, who constructed this uh, this neighborhood uh, of heaven. And he does such a good, like, neurotic, slightly nebbish, nervous, uh, <laughs> like, otherworldly being. It's a really he's kind weird... of a bureaucrat, actually, yeah. a little bit in certain ways. Yeah, he's kind of this like, oh, I'm a little in over my head, even though I have every power beyond humanity. Like, it's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, it starts out as this, like, she's just got to keep this under wraps as this fish-out-of-water story, but it turns into this just brilliant piece of, like, community comedy. There's this, like, this entire <laughs> little world with all these, like, subplots and characters and relationships i don't want to leave out the fact that um everyone's paired with their soulmate uh (laughs) in heaven and so like the perfect person who was out there for you and you were meant to be with your you know throughout your whole life that person is waiting for you uh in heaven and you obviously immediately like hang out together and and spend all your time together and uh chris and stewart's character is paired with i don't i need i should have prepped for this cheaty yeah but the actor Oh, oh, yeah. Let me. I'm gonna find it. Don't worry. We got this. Yeah, no, because uh, this is so this is good. A great performance. It's really um, amazing. Okay, so uh, yeah, William Jackson Harper. Okay, yeah. Uh, he is an ethics professor. <laughs> uh, who who passed away and yeah has spent his entire life contemplating what is virtuous and good and decent uh, in the world, 
and immediately gets swept up in trying to help uh, Kristen Stewart's character, Eleanor, carry on this, like, increasingly elaborate fraud. <laughs> um, and it is just... It's just out of fucking standing, uh, Danielle. Like, oh, everyone is it. on their game. Uh, the, the jokes all land. The, the conceit... It's a show that you might worry, like, oh, like, how long can they keep this conceit going? But they actually just keep building from it. Like, it, like, it proves just to be a foundation for, like, a lot of increasingly, like, great, elaborate comedy and character work. Yeah. Uh, and I am just, I'm all in, man. Like, this, this, show is, this show is brilliant. Have you met Vicky yet? No. Okay, okay. I won't, oh, I won't shit. say anything. The AI character, the, uh, the, the virtual assistant. Uh, of this world is such a good oh yeah she's amazing performance it's unreal she's fantastic okay i won't say anything about uh vicky because that really is such a goddamn treat um i i really love this show and it has surprised me i actually as with so many shows in my life i'll get really really into something because my girlfriend who has wonderful taste again um we'll find something and we'll start watching it we'll watch it together and like maybe something will happen and she'll watch a few episodes and without me and then I'm I, like jump back in and I'm like holy shit what happened and one of those happened uh with this show for me and it it really goes to some amazing places I yeah uh, mm, some good places I guess uh it's it's so fucking good oh my god it's so fucking good and I'm so glad that you're watching it because I can't wait to uh to dig into this further with you as you continue watching it um Speaking of uh, Ted Danson and, and Ted being a sort of, you, you might say, a fatherly figure or an angelic figure, a religious figure, whatever. I, I'm making this work. I have gotten obsessed uh, with Father Ted, a, a, an Irish... Wait, that's an old show. Oh, yeah. It's from the 90s. Uh, it looks like it's from the 80s, but it's from the 90s. <laughs> like BBC, uh, no, Channel 4, I guess. It's a Channel 4 sitcom from the 90s about a Roman Catholic priest named Father Ted and his shitty, like, fellow priests who live on this piece of shit island called Craggy Island. Uh, and so Kara introduced me to this. I, I watched so much amazing classic uh, UK comedy while I was in Scotland, and I cannot tell you how much it has charmed me and made my life happy, uh, even after leaving. <laughs> I, I watched a lot of Father Ted. I like would go to bed at night watching Father Ted and it was the best fucking thing in the world because it's like this really, it's like the comedy equivalent of an old sweatshirt. It's one of those things where it's just like, this is the most warm and comfortable and pleasant thing to wrap myself around in this completely like a little bit, uh, a little predictable you might say, like, these are these are stock stereotype characters uh, who are in this kind of insane world, in this, like, very, like, actually a little bit surreal world. Uh, so it, very, it definitely fits that that kind of um, archetype of, like, way over-the-top British comedy that that is also kind of, like, slightly surreal. Like, this isn't exactly reality, but it's it's pretty close. Uh, and everybody's so over the top, but they but they commit so completely to the performances that it's very very pleasant to watch and just very very fun and funny. Uh, and so it's, it was a Graham Linham, I think that's his name. Uh, was like the yeah. creator and and one of the main writers, same person who did um, the IT Crowd and Black Books. You know, sort of other like very you know people have actually heard of it here in America and, and watched it. Pretty mainstream uh, British comedies, but God. It's just so warm and funny and inviting and lovely. And it like 
it, it, oh god it, it's almost hard to explain how much i love this like it feels like a homey thing like a warm relaxing funny thing that i also am cackling at because of the just the situations that they sort of get themselves into it just kind of reminds me and i've been um i've been teaching a lot of uh uh, a, a class called the language of film and TV. And I've been really going all in on sitcoms lately, actually, because I have a lot of uh, students who are interested in sitcoms. And so I've been watching a lot of Friends and Seinfeld, you know, like American comedies yeah. from the same era, uh, which are wonderful and funny and, and good in a lot of ways. But God, I don't know. There's just something about this approach, this approach where people are just turned to 11 and they're in this insane world and like it's just a comedy of manners and errors and also like surreal things happening that just tickles my funny bone more consistently than something like a Seinfeld or a Friends well, or a, do you yeah. think sort of the equivalent. And I don't know exactly what that is, but it it does. I, I find this show funnier. I just well, I guess because I guess where I would jump in there is yeah. uh, is part of it. Something I remember is when it was, I don't know, it was a writer with The Office or something, but it was about the experience of like trying to adapt it to American television and this weird insistence that like on some level for the American audience, the audience, the office had to be transformed into a happy show. It had Mm. to be transformed into something fundamentally like uplifting and not just like a dark satire comedy. Um, And. I wonder if one element is you can have these sustained absurdity because, like, to a degree, these shows aren't afraid of, like, flinching from the tragedy of everyday life, the pointlessness uh, and futility of everyday life. Whereas, like, well, Seinfeld, to an extent, actually probably did stare into that abyss a little while. Yeah, a little bit. Friends certainly didn't. Friends, like, shied away from it. Friends was like, no, people can be as shitty as they want to each other. They can be manipulative, exploitative. But then somehow at the end, we're going to put a happy bow on this and yeah. all this was meant to be and they love each other. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder if that's part of what you're reacting to is, is just the comedy is coming from a like a fundamentally sort of not optimistic. It's kind of phony with, with what passes for like American happily ever after. But it's, it's coming from that like sort of shallow idea of happiness uh, with yeah. a lot of these shows. Yeah, I think so. And I, I also think I, I sort of grew up on a lot of like, a, you know, what came over to America from from the BBC. Like I, gr- I grew up on Are You Being Served and uh, Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth Bouquet and all sorts of like, not very good, actually. Like if you go back and watch them, it's like, mm, right? like I think Father Ted is leagues beyond that. I think it's actually like very sharp and funny in what it says about the Catholic Church and about Ireland, this is an Irish show. It's specifically set in, yeah. you know, in, a, in an Irish island on like a piece of shit Irish island that nobody ever wants to go to. And these are like three shitty priests who are living here. Like Father Ted did something with embezzlement. It's never like really said, but he embezzled a whole bunch of money. And that's why he kind of gets sent away. And then he lives with this other guy, Dougal Maguire, who's just an idiot. He's just like the dumbest person who's ever lived oh so these are just like um, the shittiest like, yes this is where all the people who like they had to ordain them but yep. like shouldn't have been this shouldn't is have been priests died. yeah and then there's like a horny yeah. old asshole who, who doesn't even really speak he just kind of grunts and like throws things at people and like he he it, like all of his like uh he's also ancient and sometimes he sleeps in a coffin like it's that's the joke right it's like oh this piece of shit all these shitty people on craggy island um and just their problems and all the just ridiculous shit that they get up to. I mean, there's an episode that's just so wonderful that's about um, 
you know, somehow Father Ted has to coach the over 75 priests soccer league. And like he tries to like get a ringer, basically, and it's like, yo, oh, it's Father Alpha Romeo, the Italian, who's oh, he's only seventy six, so he's the youngest guy on the team, and you know he only needs two nuns to like help him get out of bed in the morning. It's like this hilarious, Jesus. oh my god, it's so dark and grim and hilarious, like it's absolutely just uproarious. I I could not stop laughing. Like, I'm still laughing at this, you know, two weeks later, just this stupid episode of this show. But it's all these things that, like, they'll go that far with the joke, you know? Like, they will absolutely go that far with with every joke and, I don't know, kind of really nail it um, along with the, the kind of sitcom tropes of, like, oh, okay, these three shitheads, nothing ever really changes. <laughs> but, you know, their their main personality trait is turned up to 11 and and it's funny and it's familiar and warm. So I really love it. I also grew up ultra Catholic. So I, I sort of know all the, oh, you know, they have, they've got to kiss up to the bishop and they have to kiss up to this guy. And, oh, the nuns are doing this and this is doing that. So like it, it's sort of familiar in a lot of, in a lot of ways for yeah. me as well. So utterly, utterly adore the show and need to watch every episode. It, it didn't run for very long. It actually had a very tragic um, story behind it. The, uh, the the star of the show, the guy who plays Father Ted, I believe, uh, died really suddenly of a heart attack, um, like right after filming the last episode that ended up going up, I think. Something oh, like wow. that. I, I forget the exact uh, circumstances, but it was like really bad. He was fairly young and, uh, you know, he just wasn't this was not expected it was it was sort yeah. of like a hit show everybody loved it and like he just kind of died and it you know really sucked a lot so you know i guess there's that not happy ending for you yeah. even outside of the fiction uh but yeah it, it's a show i i really love really so much uh, and also the good place is great so you know we're doing good today i feel like yeah. we're doing we're in we're in very happy straits um happy i'll be straits. reporting i will be reporting back uh next week or, or sometime soon on it which i'm about to see yeah so uh that'll be you know we'll be able to talk about that as well but all right i think for now we should probably uh head out and enjoy our weekends go see father ted go see it you know watch some more good place that's a, that's a very good idea so uh this episode of idle weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the idle thumbs network you can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. Keep up with the latest from us. Follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. And we really do appreciate you listening to us, uh, having us in your ears a little bit each week or whenever we put the show up. Uh, so please do tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your weird priests, tell your, you know, not particularly happy about life priests, tell the good place, tell everybody that you want to tell about us. It really does help us out so much and it really does mean the world to us. And also if you could leave a little review on iTunes, that would also be absolutely grand and we would really appreciate that. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Mm -hmm.